Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. How's it going? And welcome back to episode 114 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You can follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. You can follow me at 80 Grade. That's all spelled out. And you can follow Kevin Hastings at Hasting Kevin. Unfortunately, Kevin is off again once again this week. Instead, I am joined by no stranger of the show. He might as well be the co-host. He's been on the show so often. Definitely no stranger to analyzing Fab, and that is Mr. Todd Whitestone. Todd should be followed on the Twitter at Telstar7. It'll be linked in the show notes as well. His weekly article, Whitestone's Waiver Watch, breaks down the results of the Fab from the NFBC main event. It can be found at the F- at FTN Fantasy. He also does a short companion podcast alongside his article for the FTN Fantasy feed. It appears weekly on the YouTube show Mean Street, hosted by Chris Meany on Mondays to discuss high-stakes fantasy baseball. So make sure if you're not already tuning into that, you're subscribing to that on YouTube and checking out Todd's auditory work along with his written work. And we will talk plenty about Fab, how that's been rolling in the main event so far this season and how it compares to previous years. But before we get into all that, Todd, thank you for taking the time and coming back onto the show. In full disclosure, Todd loves being on the show so much. You actually reached out to me, and I was more than happy to have you back on. Thanks for coming, man. Thank you. I I feel like there's other guys catching up to me, and this could be my fourth or fifth time, so (laughs) I want to be at least within hailing distance of the lead. And I was joking with Kevin back last year when I was doing it. And uh, I feel like this is my calling. I got to be on <laughs> once or twice a year. Or it's not a real baseball season. There it is. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I think Lucas Beer might be up there with you or yeah. close, getting yeah, closer. Yeah. By default, I think Nick Pollock has been on the show a couple of times. Oh, yeah, of course. He's a lot harder to book than you think being <laughs> on his network. Yeah, right. He's a busy guy. He's doing yeah. lots of stuff. But speaking of lots of stuff, we have lots of stuff to go over, Todd. So let's get into some news and notes from the past week. Of course, we focus on the things that may impact your decision making when it comes to fab on Sunday. So there's a whole bunch of smaller things, even bigger things that involve bigger players. But I feel like it didn't really, if they don't really impact your decision making on fab, then I, we're not going to talk about it here. Make sure you're listening to like the First Pitch Podcast and other, there's a lot of other different podcasts out there that talk about pretty much everything else. But let's talk about the biggest thing that's more than likely going to be one of the biggest fab targets of this week is the trends have been showing for the last couple of <laughs> weeks yes. is whatever top prospect pitcher is coming up will be the top target. This yeah. week, it is Yuri Perez of the Miami Marlins. He got called up, made his M-A-M- LB debut on Friday. Are you expecting the same sort of bids that we've been seeing for the Millers, for Bybee, for Logan Allen? And will will it be warranted? Whether whether you expect it or not, 
what's your take on how much you think should be taken out of your fab budgets? Okay, there's probably two different questions. First of all, should he be up there with the other guys? Yes, he should be. He's got the talent. He's, I don't know if you saw him, Adam, but he's six foot eight. He's a big boy. He's yeah. a big boy. He's yeah. 20 years old, six foot eight. And I think to a batter, it looks like he's releasing the ball about 10 feet from home plate right. because he <laughs> reaches so far. And he's had a great year in, in, in double A where he was pitching. The question is, how many more innings is he going to throw? And you could say that's not a key factor because if he gives you great ratios and strikeouts, it'll be worth it. But uh, I would say I expect him to go for around two to 300. And the only reason I don't expect it to be even higher, although probably will be a couple bits higher, is that people are low on money. He, As you mentioned, there's been starting pitchers very nicely spaced out one or two per week. And everybody has been spending two or 300 on one of them. So they're all down. Everybody's down. I'll go into the numbers later, but everybody's down money. And I don't know that there's that kind of money kicking around for a lot of teams in a 15-team format. That's my answer. I feel like a $200 bid will be competitive and a 250 will be close to getting him because somebody is going to be needing a pitcher badly. I think that's a great point. I I found this to be true even as of last week where I was throwing my money around at Bryce Wilson. I had either missed out on or didn't bid on no, most of the other Bryce guys Miller. coming. Bryce Miller, thank you. Right, right. Uh, hopefully I didn't get Bryce Wilson anyway. <laughs> so I, somebody uh, made that mistake. I did see that. Yes, you're right. Maybe that's what was in the back of my mind when yeah, I said okay, that. Okay. <laughs> But it, it, it was no Nick Allen, right. as we saw Justin Mason make a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I, I did find that, you know what? Like I missed out on Miller in, a, in most of my 12s just because there were still plenty of teams that had plenty of money left. But right. I got him in my 15s where I did spend more to get him. But right. at the same time, most of the teams had already cut down their fab a lot more. So there were a lot less less competitors. So there were still some teams that had a good six, $700 left or whatever, right, but right, there right. were fewer of them. So it's really mm-hmm. important. My point is make sure you know who your competition is going to be right. going into your fab decision-making and whether or not they're going to spend, Hey, I've got all this money burning my pocket. Am I going to spend it? Do I need it? Check their rotation and make your decision making, make your decision right. on how much to spend that way as well. That's absolutely right. I think you should go through your league and just see what the dollars are left. That's not going to tell you exactly what everybody's going to bid, but at least you have an idea of what you're working against. If you're way at the bottom or way at the top, that's a different matter. But he's even though he was rocky last night, he pitched 4.2 innings, 7 Ks. 7 Ks in every five innings is going to be still pretty good. I think people are going to spend, and he's obviously talented, and people are looking for that lottery ticket to save their pitching rotation. And Craig mentioned that he expected him before his debut, he expected Prez to be in for the start against Washington. Beyond Mm -hmm. that, I think, is the question mark whether or not Mm -hmm. he'll stick in that rotation. Does it, do you think, in your mind, does it matter how well he does against Washington, or do you think this is his spot regardless? I think that he's going to pitch let's say, another 
60 or 70 innings in the made in the majors probably it may not all be right away it may not all be in consecutive starts from here to august but i think if you get him you're going to be able to use him for another 60 innings give or take and i think that they've realized that they can use his bullets up at the major league level sure. and if he goes if he gets sent down at him what's he going to do he's going to be pitching in the minors which is still counting for innings. So I don't know why they would say, oh, let's stick him in the minors and that saves his arm. That really doesn't save his arm. So I, anyway, I feel like you're getting 60 or 70 innings. If you think you're getting 130 innings, then that's a that's not right in my opinion. But Since he's already got, what, 30 some odd innings in the bank yeah, that you can't yeah. use. Yep. Yeah, I think he'll get, the, he'll get the 60 or 70 and he's going to pitch five or six innings at a start and... That's he should be good to go. And, and they're going to be helpful innings. Yeah, he's going to get you strikeouts. So especially the whip might not be great, but the, the strikeouts will be there. So if that's your main need, I certainly would go for the strikeouts and see if you can acquire him. Fair enough. So we'll see. Look forward to uh, reading the recap on how that goes, especially in the main event. And then the difference in the 12 teamers versus the 15 teamers as well is always going to be interesting to me because I'm in plenty of those. We got some other pitching news, not so positive here, going to go just a little bit further north up to Atlanta, where they will be without two fifths of their starting rotation for the next supposedly two months or more. Both Max Freed and Kyle right now expected to miss at least two months with their different ailments. Are you holding either one of these guys with limited in leagues with limited or no IL spots, of course, in the NFBC? In on the opposite side, like how do are you expecting Atlanta to fill these rotation spots? Okay, so on the first question, I would say I don't think you can hold Kyle Wright. He's gonna be out for more than two months, was the quote I heard. And I just feel like he was struggling before. I don't think he's a hold in any format. Freed is a little different because it's a little fuzzier about how long he'll be out. And he's obviously was performing really well. So if it was me, I would hold him for at least a few weeks to see what they say. If he has a setback, then maybe that's the time to cut loose. So that would be my answer on that. The guys to fill it, the obvious ones are Jared Schuster and Dylan Dodd. They were up earlier. Most fantasy managers remember them. And I looked back at them at the last three outings, majors and minors for these two pitchers. Schuster has been a little better than Dodd, but he's known as less of a strikeout pitcher. So I would say Dodd is more of the upside play, but he's been struggling even in his two minor league starts. So I would say Schuster would be my preference. You might be able to get a few couple of wins out of him. They haven't officially called up Dodd, although a lot of sites are projecting that he's going to be in the rotation. But And the other two guys that could factor in are Mike Soroka, who's been rehabbing, and also Alan Winans, who's a pitcher down in AAA for them. But none of them are really like ext- extremely great options. Soroka's not really pitching even five innings at a shot. It's a little dicey. I might take a shot at Schuster, Schuster if it was me and then leave the others alone until we hear more or see them perform. Yeah, it's rough because they're not, like you said, they're not calling anybody up. They're going with Dylan Lee 
as right. their opener or right. Colin McHugh. Colin McHugh is set to start on Sunday. I can't expect him to go more than no. three innings no. at, at most if he does well to start the game. Very gray area right here in Atlanta. They obviously have a lot of openings. I think Soroka is the almost the obvious play. It's almost like they're stretching things out until he's 100% ready right. rather than forcing the square peg into the circle hole with the other guys that obviously had their struggles in the beginning of the year, even though they all Schuster and Dodd, Dodd, not really, but Schuster and Dodd make the opening day rotation for all intents and purposes. Dodd was in the opening day rotation. And yeah, this is a good time to, if you like these guys, by all means throw in those bids now because nobody knows what's going on. So you can get them <laughs> a lot cheaper than if we did know. Sure. Put it that that's, way. True. that's true. I just, am a little skeptical about Sirocco, Adam, because He's coming back from two Achilles tears. And even when he was right, he wasn't a strikeout pitcher. He was right. like, Correct. he would strike out two guys in six innings. And I mean, I like him as a pitcher. I'm rooting for him, but he's not the greatest fantasy asset, even if he's healthy. And he doesn't seem like he's ready at this moment. So that's my only caution. Certainly, if you're really short of pitching, wouldn't be the worst try. Sure. And there are, to your point, if you're not getting the strikeouts, there are different ways in which you can help your ratios. Mm -hmm. This was always his calling card. He was a, he was a control guy. He was a ratio guy. If he was going to be valuable in fantasy, it was because he was going to go five, six, seven innings and give up minimal amount of hits and walks and no walks or whatever, and help your whip. Hopefully he doesn't get beat up and keep your ERA down as well. Yep. I can't expect him to go five innings, even in the first couple outings. So there are other plays that you can make to get those to get those innings to help your ratios. Yep. All right. One more pitching one. Not so positive here. Again, got to end it on that note. Drew Rasmussen, positive. He shoved this past <laughs> week. And on the negative, he was rewarded by with a free ticket to the 60-day IL with flexor issues. That seems to be the word of the season. It's like from Pee Wee's Playhouse and the the word that comes up and all the noise comes. Can we, I'm going to, obviously it's not the Rays per se, but can we trust the Rays at all with our pitchers at this point? That's what it seems like. And and from what we actually care about, who are you looking at to get that spot in the rotation because as sad as this is, especially for those who roster Rasmussen in multiple places, you, you got to look forward. You got to figure out who's filling in that spot. So who are the Rays going to have take, eating up all those innings? Yeah, so this is very sad for me because I had Rasmussen in a lot of spots. He, and the Rays, in their defense, they were limiting Rasmussen. He was only going 70 pitches or something. They would take him out when he was ahead and he was doing well and people were a little upset about that, but it wasn't enough or I don't know how he heard it, of course, but very sad and very upsetting for me because a lot of my big leagues, I have Rasmussen. So who on the raise? It's got to be Taj Bradley, I think. Bradley was doing well in the majors. He did have a couple rocky outings in the minors, but I don't think they have anybody else down there. I think it's Durham that really is ready to be pitch at the major league level. So if I'm right, I think they would recall Bradley. They haven't announced that yet. And I don't know. They they love the the old opener and then bring on Fleming and <laughs> do the other stuff. That's really not going to help fantasy managers. 
I don't know how long they plan to do that, but Yanni Chirinos, obviously he's going to be in the rotation. He's He could end up going five, six innings. Maybe you could pick him up and maybe bench him until he really shows he's ready for more innings. But that's my answer. I don't think there's a obvious candidate and the Rays wanted pitching staff. Even McClanahan gave up four runs today. So I'm expecting the Rays to just continue to do what they did with Chase Anderson, where they find somebody <laughs> off the trash heap, let them go five innings of right. shutout and then cut them the next day. Yeah, maybe they'll do that. <laughs> That's just what the Rays, Jake Diekman, they already fixed him supposedly. Yeah. That's just what the Rays do for a very short period of time. They make, they like they shine him up, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they either then throw him on the IL heap or they throw him in the DFA pile. Uh, it's just what they do. It seems. Yeah, Todd Bradley, I think, is the low hanging fruit here. It seems pretty. I don't know. From our perspective, it seems like yeah. the obvious choice. So we'll see how the Rays do it. But he's gonna for any anybody who's actually had him and dropped him after he got sent down, and he's available in your leagues. He's going to be as hot of a commodity in fab oh, yeah. if he's actually still available. If somebody hasn't been, they just had itchy trigger fingers when he got sent down. So check your wire, see if you're the lucky in one of those lucky leagues where he is available. Yep. I don't think in the NFBC people have dropped him, but yeah, maybe in some Yahoo CBS leagues, people are impatient and they drop them and maybe there's shallower formats. He is 96% rostered in the OCs. So in those 12 teamers, there's at least one of them or maybe two leagues where he would be available. So check that out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got to really grasp the straws on that one. Let's look, look (laughs) for sure. All right. Let's get into some hitting, hitting notes here, Todd. But before we do, I do have to take a quick break. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, in Minnesota, Todd, we got Jose Miranda getting sent back down to Triple A after driving the struggle bus to start the season to the tune of a 220-275-318 slash through his first 142 major league plate appearances of 2023, that is. Any reason to hold him, hoping he comes back soon, and how are the Twins going to handle? Miranda was playing third base pretty much every single day. How are the Twins filling in that that spot at the at the key at sorry at the hot corner? I don't think he's worth holding. Miranda, I think he needs a little bit more seasoning, and I think he won't be up quickly enough to justify holding him in leagues that don't have like lots of bench spots. The guys that seem to be filling in Adam will be Kyle Farmer and Willie Castro. 
neither of whom is especially exciting, even in 15-team leagues. Farmer, I like Farmer over the years, a nice fill-in, and if he's got a good park and a good pitching matchup, he can do some damage, but I, I would say he'd be a later priority. I just think the Twins are treading water, and they're hoping maybe Royce Lewis is available later in the year, and they have Kirilov and Larnick now is up, and so they have enough guys. They're just going to mix around and see if they can generate offense without having Miranda and just let him get his at-bats down there at AAA. Yeah, like you said, Kyle Farmer's been the one to fill in ever since. It's like he was actually the corresponding move as well, right. Farmer coming off the IL, slotting right into third base there. Obviously, Farmer can play a whole bunch of places if necessary. But on, on top of that, on the outfield, staying, sticking with Minnesota, this one came through today. Excuse me. Max Kepler, he was on the IL as well right. for the Twins with a hamstring strain. They recalled Trevor Larnack, who immediately took Kepler's spot in right field on Saturday. Do you expect this to be a simple one-for-one, one, like Larnack just takes over for Kepler until Kepler's healthy enough to come back? Or do you see anybody else in the outfield mix taking getting extra at-bats because of it? I think Larnack for the short term will be the guy. He is not great against left-handed pitching, but I don't know that they have anybody else that's really a good platoon partner. So I would say Larnick should get some run. They were batting him cleanup, if you recall, Adam, earlier in the year. So I think he'll play. Kirilov will be at first, probably. And I think they'll mix and match that way. But I think Larnick's a good enough option in a 15-team league. I would say maybe in a 12, you can probably do better. But he certainly is a power source. And Kirilov hit two homers, was it today or yesterday? He's certainly interesting as well. I just don't know if Kirilov can stay healthy. So some combination of those guys will be in the lineup. You know, I don't know if they, they don't want to play Buxton out there in the outfield. I think they're forced to go with a, a guy that's not as good of a defender in Larnack. Sure, Larnack, surprisingly enough, rostered more in the OCs and the online championships <laughs> than he, at 22% than he is in the main event at 19%. So okay. I, I'm assuming that maybe there was a massive dropping of Larnack in the main event. You can correct me yeah. if you have that in front yeah. of you because when he got sent down last weekend or before Fab ran. Well, it was like two weeks ago that he was widely dropped. But anyway, there you yeah, go. So before he, he down, <laughs> he was his performance had tailed off. I think that's oh, yeah. what led to the drops. But yeah, yeah, I, I think he's largely unowned in most main event leagues. Yeah, currently 19%. Only 2% of them are starting him, which, you know, obviously. But now that he's back up, should get full-time run. Maybe he sits against lefties, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I would expect that percentage to go up a little bit just because maybe the shine's back on a little bit. We'll see how he does on Sunday as well to see if he can bring his stock up before Fab runs. All right, in Chicago, we have Nico Horner heading to the IL retroactive to May 9th, so he could be back a little bit sooner. Mm -hmm. But he has his own hamstring strain. Does Horner's absence do much more than simply opening up everyday playing time for Christopher Morrell in the Cubs infield, Todd? I think Nick Madrigal is going to fill in too. The interesting thing about this little battle is that they're putting these the guy that's playing out of these two, Morrell and Madrigal, in the leadoff spot. So that is interesting to me. Madrigal, most people know, 
he's like a good contact guy, but he doesn't hit for any power. And uh, he's supposedly a great steal source, but he hasn't really done, shown that too much. So I'm much more interested in Morel, and we can talk about that later. But I think Morel will get at least half or to two-thirds of the time, but maybe that's my hope and not actual actually what's going to happen. Yeah, it looks like Madrigal's been getting those spots in the leadoff spot, like you mentioned. Morel did get the one spot on Friday. He was leading off there, but mostly been hitting in the bottom third of the order. So we'll see if the Cubs make any differences there. Did get bumped up to sixth on Saturday. Yeah, I think a lot of the questions around Morel when he came up is, first of all, finally, he'd obviously been mashing in AAA, but where was he going to, how was he going to fit in? And then finally, I see Horner hit the IL and obviously... It seemed like that was the natural fit. Yeah. And granted, they found a way for him to, even before Horner's injury, he'd been playing every day except for the day he got called up. And so they're going to find ways to get him in the lineup. So I think, like you said, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but seems to be a, even safer of a play now than than he was before. Yep, I agree. All right, and Cincinnati's outfield got a little bit thinner just for a couple of days at least. TJ Freidel, he left Thursday's game early and got an MRI. He was diagnosed with a slight oblique strain. They didn't give it a grade or anything from what I saw. It was just slight, which I guess that's a good thing. And (laughs) though he's yet to be placed in the IL, they haven't made that decision yet. He did sit out both Friday and Saturday's matchups. If he is going to miss any more time going into the week, Todd, is there anyone you target to take advantage of the extra playing time in the Cincinnati outfield, especially with Cincinnati's schedule coming up this coming week, playing in Colorado, and then yeah. also it at home in Cincinnati. Yeah, it seemed like um, I'm quite a bit of a downer tonight, but I'm not seeing a lot of fantasy value out there. Uh, Stuart Fairchild is the guy getting PT, or supposedly he's not a real attractive commodity to me. There's Henry Ramos, who is hot for a while. They could also put Will Myers at first, put Spencer Steer over to third. Senzel could play more outfield where he could get hurt again. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of new guys in Cincinnati where you say this is a great guy to play. Maybe if what happens today and tomorrow on the weekend, we can discern something. But right now, I don't think I'd be rushing to pick up Stuart Fairchild, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, he, Fairchild has played center field the last two days with Fredo being out. And you would venture to guess because that was seems to be the case, they may be focusing a little bit more on defense in that position rather than making sure these guys get extra at-bats, like you mentioned, the different ways they could move guys around in order to get those extra at-bats with Senzel and, and Myers and what have you. You want to be more excited about if somebody in Cincinnati is going to get more playing time, you want to be more excited about it (laughs) just because of the opportunity. So I'm not going to try to, I'm not forcing it, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hopefully we'll we'll come up with some guys we're excited about, but I don't think Stuart Fairchild is the guy I want to go on the pod and recommend. (laughs) Yeah, I won't force you to do that. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, that is going to wrap it up for the news and knows that we're going to talk about here. Of course, we missed a whole bunch of stuff that went down this past week to get in on all of the information that's happening throughout the course of the week. 
Make sure you are listening to the First Pitch Podcast with Casey, Bubba, and Jake Crumpler on the weekends. They break down all the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy leagues. And on the pitching side, of course, Nick Pollock, plus pitch podcast he highlights every single starting pitching performance from the day prior alongside his sp roundup written version so make sure you're checking out those two daily pods on the pitch podcast network so we're gonna get into we're gonna flow right into fab here Mm -hmm. but instead of going into the players that we're recommending or at least looking at for bidding this weekend todd i want to talk to you about what you've been doing for the last few years now titled Whitestone's waiver. Oh, I want to get this right because I know it's, I know it's different. <laughs> Whitestone's waiver watch on the F and now on FT and fantasy, right. but you've been doing it for a while in different iterations. You were publishing over at spstreamer.com when that was a thing as well. And you were doing pods with Rob DiPietro for a while yeah. as well over in the pull hitter podcast talk to me or talk to my listeners too about what it is that you do and and why first of all you've been on this pod so often mainly because of this article is so cool (laughs) so why is it useful enough for you to been doing it for is this like the fourth season you've been doing this it's actually the third season i've been doing it and uh, i do kind of like it My, my objective adam was to was to do an article that was a little bit different. Everybody, or not everybody, a lot of articles in fantasy baseball are about player A, player B, player C, and that's very helpful and it can be interesting. But I wanted to come at this a little differently and say, I want to write about a contest. We're all in contests and nobody seems to write about who's winning and losing and who's doing what. So there's information about them and the NFBC is is great at making their information available. So I've been writing a main event article, which is the premier event for those that don't know at the NFBC. It's a fairly high buy-in per team, and a lot of the top players are in it, and it's a very well-known who wins the overall championship. This year, there's 53 teams, 53 leagues, 795 teams, And I just think if you follow it, you can glean what some of these top managers are doing. And that's really what I wanted to learn about myself and how everybody competes on them. And so what I've been doing is summarizing the fab pickups, the players, the amount spent, whether they've been good or bad pickups. I try to do a section on that as looking back a little bit and and then also showing who individually is leading the leagues and also the overall and following that over the course of the season. So it's, uh, I find it very interesting. And I think the audience is bigger than just the main event participants. I think people, some people read it because they're like, Oh, this guy was the top pickup. That's interesting to me. Maybe in my home league, I can pick up this guy or something. Oh, absolutely. I admittedly have not been in the main event as well. And I've been following your article for obviously more than three years so, somehow, as I mentioned. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. You're, it's funny because these fan, fantasy baseball analysts will write articles about players and their stats and the things right. that they do. And you're pretty much taking it one step further and re- you're analyzing the fantasy players rather than the players on the field. 
which I think is, it's like almost like fantasy baseball, and, which would be a great concept, by the way. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. Uh, I think I want to draft John Posma this year. But... <laughs> Set your KDS. Yeah, really. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we'll talk, like you've been doing this for three years. You obviously yeah. can see trends happen throughout yeah. the course of the season. And now you're able to see trends happening between season to season as well, not just throughout the season. It's one thing to compare like how much a guy gets goes for in April versus how much a similar type of player goes for in July when everybody's fab is obviously a lot lower. It's yeah. another thing to see, okay, this guy got called up in April and went for X amount of dollars. And then ne- the very next year, the similar type of player got called up at that same time. Did he go for the same amount? Right. Was there the same amount of backups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Talk to me a little bit mm-hmm. about any trends that you might have noticed in, in that way, especially when comparing just 23 to 22. But if you want to go further back, by all means. Yeah, so I have data now for the three years, Adam. And one of the things I focus on is what the overall spending for the average main event team is. And I can tell the listeners right now that the average main event team has spent $467 out of a $1,000 fab budget. And that's more than the 399 last year and the 432 two years ago. For a while, two years ago was the highest, but now it's with last week's $93 per team, which was an all-time record for the three years that I followed it. It shot past, and that's why I say it's got to slow down because they're just running out of dollars. There are some teams, obviously, with 800 bucks or more left, but there are few and far between. If you look at it for the average perspective, if there's 27 fab periods for the full year and there's seven weeks gone, the, those main event owners with an average amount left are going to have to average $26.65 per week for all their bids, all their winning bids, not just the top bids. And we're still getting top bids of 200 plus and probably will get them for Yuri Perez. It's hard to conceive. I think my, my conclusion, and I think I, I've talked about this with you and Kevin, is that if you can hold your water for the first seven or eight weeks, you don't have to spend zero. But if you can hold back a little, still get some players, you can really have an advantage over your competitors. That's easier said than done because if you lose three starting pitchers out of your rotation, you, it's hard to say I'm not going to bid on any big names. But it's it, the pattern is the same. The dollars are different, slightly different. But every year, the first seven or eight weeks are big spending. About half the fab is gone, and people have to really pull back. And it's going to be $30 on average spent where it was $93 last week. And it's going to happen very soon, maybe not this week but it'll be the next week if not. And I know you said that it's been up this week and I get that. And that number you threw out there was guys popped a little bit. (laughs) It's a good $70 more compared to last year on average, as you mentioned. And it's got to be because of all the pitching prospects that have come up. We've got, we've had Fabapalooza before and you mentioned this earlier. It is very polite of them. 
to think about us and calling all these guys up across Major League Baseball or on the phones, obviously. Let yes. everybody, hey, who's who's calling up a guy this week? Okay, yeah, I'll yeah. hold off till next week. Exactly. One, one or two per week. And I think that's really led to higher spending because when there's the Fabapalooza, which was a couple years ago, it was like one week where seven guys or five guys were up at the same time. And yes, the top players went for a lot, but the fourth and fifth guys didn't go for that much. But if there's one per week that's a big starting pitcher attraction, then people are going to spend a lot of money, especially the guys that bid a lot the week before and did not win. So it's really led to overspending because people want to get one of these guys. I just feel like it's the other thing that that is at work here, of course, is the new major league rules about that it's not that they can possibly get a pick back if the guy wins uh, rookie of the year. So it's there's more incentive to call the guy up rather than hold his clock back. So I feel like that's leading to it too. But anyway, I think Yuri Perez is one of the last maybe not the last, but one of the last guys starting pitchers. There's Matthew Liebertor, who might be one more. I don't know when he might come up, probably one week from now. But anyway, yeah, that's led to it too. If there were, if there was all these guys were in one week, it wouldn't have been as much spending. Yeah. I was contemplating the whole idea of the, that obviously the new rule, the rules where you can win rookie of the year and all that. All these guys have been coming up past that time. Like none of these guys are eligible for that. They haven't, they won't have enough service time this season to qualify for it. I don't believe Mason Miller was the first one up of this batch. And I'm pretty sure he even came up past that three week mark, but it does make me wonder whether or not next year's draft season, we will start seeing more of these guys being drafted Mm -hmm. in the final, like three rounds of drafts and held on to for the first month of the season pending roster constraints and all that as needed. But I I will expect, I almost expect that to happen on a more regular basis. I know I was, I know I was grasping at straws in my 12 teamers because you have a lot more flexibility in that to make more and and throw pretty much throw away a pick or two at the end of drafts, just because the pool is a lot more, is a lot more plentiful. But I wonder if we'll start seeing it in 15 teamers more aggressively, just so, you can save the $300 bid in worst case scenario. You do the whole strategy where you draft. Of course, I'm talking specifically NFBC where you can't pick up these rookies until they make their MLB debut right. unless they were drafted right, and exactly. dropped. That's um, the key. And of course, That's the key. Yeah, yeah. And I did that and a lot of other players did it with Brandon Fatt, who has not worked out at all, at least so far. But, but yeah, I think maybe every team is going to have one pitching stash you can't really, with a seven-man bench in the NFBC, you can't have two or three of these guys. It's really tough to make it work. But but I think if there's the top six starting pitcher prospects and you might want to put one of those guys on your bench and just hope that he's up in the first month and a half. That's fair. Yeah, I think it, it, besides the besides the money being spent on these prospects and especially these pitching prospects, have you seen any other t- kind of trends toward the types of players that are being picked up on a regular basis? Are st- is streaming pitching still 
I think two start pitchers is are they still bigger targets than we see? We see a lot of discourse, especially this offseason, people talking about how they're how it's not as valuable as people think it is to right. just be going after two pitch pitchers. Are there any other trends that you've noticed compared to the last two years? I think there's still guys going after two star pitchers. I don't think it's quite as heavy as it was before. The one thing that has changed over the last couple of years, and it might change again later in this year is that there's really not been the closers. Those are the guys that got the biggest spend in the last two years and really hasn't been a new anointed closer that's got 60, 70% of the job this whole year. There's been some guys getting a few saves and stuff like that. But so that's really held down the bids and focused everybody on the starting pitching. So I would say that's the one trend that's happening is I don't know that whether that will continue or whether the closers will be de-emphasized, but I'm sure there's a lot of teams out there hoping there's a new closer and maybe they can spend a couple hundred bucks on that. Cause that was a common occurrence definitely in 21 and maybe to some extent in 22 as well. What will happen is that all the teams will get together and be like, Hey, does anybody have a pr- uh, prospect <laughs> to call up? No. Okay, cool. We're going to change our closer then. Yeah, and we're going to make an announcement. I like that. I like yes. that. This is the, the team meetings on the conference call. <laughs> that we don't get to be a part of. No, <laughs> no, I know that it's right after they decide which baseball they're going to use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Whole different podcast there. Yeah, really. It's another, another time. All right, let's get into Todd. This is all great stuff. If you're not checking out Whitestone's waiver, if you're not checking out Whitestone's waiver watch on FTN Fantasy, you are missing out. And if I'm not mistaken, your article is not behind the paywall either, right? That's right. It's a free article. I should have mentioned that. And and I do the pod, the companion pod, usually later Monday, Tuesday, for people that just want a very quick summary of it. So yeah, that you can catch either one and get an idea of what's going on. Yeah, and check out, of course, Todd over at Chris Mee's Mean Streets on yeah. their FTN YouTube channel on a weekly basis on Mondays, correct? That goes That's out on Mondays. Mondays. Right. That's usually yeah. Mondays. All right. We're going to get into our recommendations for this week's Fab Run right after this quick break. All right. We are back. Of course, you are still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined this week by Todd Whitestone friend of the show. I should say friend five times, but that's all right. Let's get into the recommendation from players that could help you in different categories. I know I've been saying this since the beginning of the season and typically Kevin and I will start saying this probably closer to Memorial Day, but I will emphasize that we're getting closer and closer to Memorial Day. You (laughs) really need, if you haven't already, you start checking out your categories Definitely. where you can make the most headway and the pl- that it's the reason why we've we break this pod down the way we do because you really you can make the most runs at in your standings by chipping away at the categories where you can make the most jumps you can always fill a position with a player like you can always find a player to fill a position unless you're in like the deepest of AL only AL East only leagues and you don't have a shortstop or something like that. Um, but in your typical full league, 15 teamer, 12 teamer, especially, you're always going to find a player to fill in an IL spot or whatever. But really when you're rotating in 
players throughout your rotation or throughout your lineup, make sure you are focusing on where you can make the most run. You don't necessarily have to pick up every player we talked about, because if you're a top in runs and bottom in RBIs, where your focus should be. And that's an oversimplification of that as well. So Todd, let's start off with power here. We got a lot of guys to talk about here, and I appreciate this because you've got a long list here of players to consider. I'm going to start off with a guy that, even though I, we didn't do the show last week, and I again, everybody out there listening, thank you for sticking with me. I went through some, You probably I'll probably edit it out so you probably didn't hear any of my coughing fits already, but went through my own personal, my own stuff and got through it on the other side. Here we are. But J.J. Bladé was somebody I was targeting last week, and you've got him here as well as your top choice in power. Talk to me about why J.J. Bladé would be somebody you'd be going after if you're still looking for the power juice. Sure. I did list the 12 and 15 team ownership percentages for all these guys, which might give you an idea. You might be in a different format than NFBC, but anyway... Blade is 44% in 12s and 98% in the main event. So mostly he's a 12-team target, but he definitely has power. If you've seen him play, he definitely, when he gets a hold of the ball, it's a good chance that it could go over the fence. And he's going to get playing time, which is why he's number one for me in the power zone if he's available. He's the Oakland Athletics just don't have enough guys to really challenge him and to say, let's take him out of the lineup. He, If he was with a good team, he might be playing part-time. But I think he's the number one power target, and he can certainly be a staple in people's outfield core. 33.3% hard contact rate yeah. is going to keep that ball going off the bat on a regular basis, and it's going to keep finding its way over the fence, keeping his K rate under 20% too. God, that was his calling card in the opposite direction. So to see him be able to keep that down, he still has a little bit of a wiggle room really to even tap into even more power. If he were to bring up that K rate a little bit more and be a little bit more of a free swinger. So JJ Blade, I agree. I agree with the playing time. I like it a lot. I'm surprised he wasn't picked up in more places. The fact that as you list that roster ship still at only 44% in your 12 teamers in your online championships, granted, just close, just shy of 100% in your main event. So big 12-team target, I think, especially if you're in need of any kind of outfield, any yep. kind of power, they would be somebody I'd be looking at. Yep, he has three three home runs in the last two weeks. I, I've been trying to keep all the stats for the last two weeks to cite tonight. And he has three homers, which is pretty good if you get three homers every two weeks. That's just to find production. Then you got Luke Rayleigh on here, which I think has been a hot topic just because of what he's been doing. Yeah. I think the biggest fear, obviously, is he's in Tampa. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. how much time he's actually going to get there with the Rays between... They're not even playing Josh Lowe every day, and look what he's been doing. So is there enough of a concern there, or is what he's been doing enough for you to be like, hey, I want him in even my, my 12 team? Yeah, I think he's hitting well enough, even despite the fact that he doesn't play all the time, to warrant a roster spot in most leagues. He's 13% owned in the 12s, 49% in the main event. So he's available even there. And in the last two weeks, he has 33 at-bats, which is not so bad if you compare that to a regular might get in the 40s. So that's not terrible. He does come in the middle of the game sometimes, even if a lefty starts. And he comes in 
mid-game when they switch over to a reliever. I feel and he's showing good contact and good power. I've watched him, and he's definitely a good hitter. He's got three homers the last two weeks, five RBIs, and I just he's he can find himself in the middle of that Tampa lineup, which has been doing outstanding. So I, I think people have to look at who they have on their outfield roster, but he's definitely a guy to consider for sure. It's really difficult. I want to be like, all right, obviously the Rays are just doing platooning this guy or that guy. The Rays faced a lefty today, or as recording this on Saturday, May 13th. The last time they faced a lefty starter was Tuesday, April 18th. <laughs> they've been facing off. They've had righty starter opponents for for the better part of the last month. And that... Um, that is, that's crazy. So it makes yeah. it really difficult to be like, this guy sits against lefties or this guy sits against righties. There's yeah. no rhyme or reason to that, at least from on, on the surface. We'll see how much time. Really, it was nice. He got four days in a row at one point recently, and then he had yeah. the last two days off. So we'll see how much <laughs> time he gets. If he plays on Sunday and does something crazy, then maybe up those bets just a little bit more. But right. Right. you almost hope he, he plays and then she goes like, one for four and just enough to like keep him relevant, but not doesn't make him more of a name for himself. Yeah. He's a good hitter. If you watch him, he's a good hitter. So I think he's a key cog for them. So he'll play when there's a righty on the mound for sure. All right. And one last guy I want to take off your list that we didn't talk about in the news and notes section probably could have is San Francisco's rookie third baseman, Casey Schmidt who obviously could play multiple positions playing third base right now for the Giants. Obviously, 0% rostered across the board as he was just, he made his MLB debut earlier this week. Right. Been tearing the cover off the ball. Do you expect him to be playing? Is this a Christopher Morrell situation where you expect him up for a while and he's going to find places to play? Or is this a, hey, you know what? We needed somebody to fill a hole for now. Let's see how much time you get. And then you might go back down. He's hitting over 500. So I'd say that would keep him in the lineup. But (laughs) Right. That's a little glib. I really think the answer is what are the Giants going to do when Brandon Crawford comes back? If their plan is Brandon's our guy, regardless, he's the veteran, he's the leader, he's going to play, then Casey Schmidt is not going to be of a lot of value. If they're saying we got to look to the future, then I would say Schmidt could get some run. I would say it's a little dicey to spend lots of money on Schmidt unless you really need a third baseman because it's just the playing time is up in the air and he certainly is not going to hit 500. It's going to come down. He does have good power, though he showed it in the minors. So I do think that if he does get the time, that's why I put him on this list, I think he can produce some homers. But let's just wait and see what the Giants are going to do. I just say, if you're really hurting at third, then you could cert- certainly consider him. That's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Marcelo Arzuna and Connor Wong here on the list as well. Obviously, Connor Wong is a catcher play specifically. Right. He pretty much took over for Reese McGuire in Boston a couple of weeks ago, it seemed. And he's been running with it. And it seems like a no-brainer, especially if you are circling through catchers at least your c2 position in your 15 teamers but at this point even in your 12 teamers i know i have a 12 teamer or two where i've just been flying through my c2 position and wong was somebody i looked at starting i think two weeks ago and it's nice to see that he's getting a little bit more attention 
Yeah, he's definitely got power. He's got four homers in the last two weeks. I think he's going to get more of the playing time in Boston. So I would definitely, if your catcher two is not doing well, he's worth definitely worth a pickup. And Ozuna, just quickly, he's got, I had him down as four homers of the last two weeks, and then I think he homered again today. He's the kind of guy, I don't know if you remember, but he was terrible last year in the beginning of this year, but he's more of a hot streak kind of player. So he's the kind of guy that you could pick up for three weeks and then he could go cold again. But if you can ride him while he's hot, then that's that's part of the game. I would say Ozuna's worth a look as well. Yeah, and he's not a guy you're going to feel bad dropping when he does hit that cold spot. That's true. All right, let's get some speed guys in here as well. You got some nice names in here that are that vary in roster ship as well. So let's start off with the least rostered player here on the list with Ramiel Tapia in Boston. Mm-hmm. So we'll stay mm-hmm. in Boston for a little bit. As you list out here, 2% rostered in the online championships, plenty available in the OCs, but only 36% rostered in the main event as well. So what has you drawn to Tapia playing in Fenway? He's not a full-time guy, so I will say that as a caveat, but he is running. He's got four steals over the last two weeks. He's 27 at-bats, and he didn't really show this kind of, I think you've talked about it, Adam, like stolen base opportunities and how many times the guys take advantage of Whatever is happening, he's running, and that's what you want. You want a guy that's going to run when he's on first, and he scored six runs. So even if I didn't tell you they had bats which are only 27, You'd say six runs and four steals. That's pretty good over the last two weeks. I'm not enamored with him in terms of a hitting prospect or something, but if he's getting the playing time, if he's running like this, I think you got to consider him, especially if he needs speed, and a lot of us do. So I would say without telling you he's a great player, I would say look at your roster and see if you can fit him in for a few steals. Yeah, he's had five attempts at second base in eight opportunities. So that, that means he's got a pretty solid green light yeah. lit in front yeah. of him. He just needs to get, he needs the opportunity to get the opportunity first. Exactly. So we got to get him onto first base first somehow. Even <laughs> if it's just a pinch runner, I don't care. Just put him on first. Just somehow put him on first. And yeah. he's probably, he's probably going to run, which is interesting because Cora from what I've been looking at has not had the history, especially right. in in Boston as being a guy who's, going to send players but as as we can tell from Matheny in Kansas City and whoever you else you want to use it as an example the manager has a lot less say in the who's going to run that's that's not worded correctly but they don't have as much influence in the trends of the runners as the players they themselves do Mm -hmm. Tapia is a good runner he's a good base dealer he's fast he's going to dictate whether or not he runs or not. Not to say that he's going to run when Cora says not to, but right. he's going to dictate Cora's decision of whether or not to send him or not. Not, yep. the, not the other way around. I agree. And when there's been already one throw over to first and the pitcher is concerned about whether they can really risk another throw, the base runner has an advantage. Uh, I think a lot of managers are fine with letting their players decide that they have a good enough jump and just go for it. So I think Tappy is in that group. And again, you want a guy that's willing to, to take a risk. So I would say he's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. Other two guys on here, I like our teammates, Zach McKinstry and Matt Fearling, who right. each have 
stolen base opportunity taking our S spot of over 17%. And that's well above the mark that you really want to see as far as somebody who wants to be, who, who's going to be running on a regular basis. And that comes with a much larger sample size than Tapia yeah. has. So that's nice yeah. to see that they're getting the opportunity to run. And when they are, they're taking advantage of that as well. Each one of them has had at least 16 opportunities ahead and they have taken three each three opportunities. Just, this is just at second base as well. I'm not even going to bother looking at how many times anybody's looked at stolen third, which is still up. It's happening more often, but it's still not enough of a sample size to really make any decisions. Right. Yeah. Two caveats with these two tiger players. They've only got one successful steal out of the last two weeks, even though they have gotten a lot of opportunities. And also the schedule for the Tigers is not that great next week. I think they just have five games, if I remember, or six. But anyway, it's not a great schedule. So I would say they might be further down your list. But I do think these two guys do have the speed. They should be kept in mind. And they can steal bases. And Veerling was, I think, leading off. And even McKinstry, I think, once or twice was in the leadoff spot. For a while. McKinstry was the leadoff for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and Veerling more recently. So they're worth considering. I would say I wouldn't put them at the top of the list for this coming week. But they're definitely, and they're not very much owned. They're 11% and 5% in 12 teams. Veerling is open, owned 87% in the main event, but McKinstry, 55% rostered. Yeah, to clarify the numbers I was throwing out there, that was the last three weeks of the ah, okay. data. And so Veerling and McKinstry over the course of the whole season actually have a much higher S spot than they do in the last three weeks. Actually, they've been going down in a way, but they've had 27 and 23 opportunities respectively and obviously have attempted a couple more stolen bases than what I just mentioned, eight and six respectively. My only, my only, my other concern though is with Veerling, he's been caught as much as he has actually stolen He's got four caught stolen bases of second where he's been successful four times. So that 50% rate, obviously maybe that he's just trying new things, but yeah. we'll see if they continue to give him more of a green light. But that might also explain why his rate has gone down in the last couple of weeks. Agreed. And then last guy here, Tyrone Taylor. I, re- I like just because he's, he's back on the field. You think yep. he's going to continue to run? Yep, I do. He's 12% owned in the online championship, 89% main event. He's had 33 at-bats since he returned, and which was on May 2nd. And he's scored three runs and had three steals. So I think he's running. He's got some talent. I think he's worthwhile, definitely, if you need some speed. He'd be my number one target out of these four guys. And I think he's if you're in a main event that he's available, I would consider it. And certainly online, if you need steals, go right ahead. Or run scored, too. Yeah, granted, he didn't play today, but he's only missed two days since coming back. And I'd like him to be in a slightly different part of the lineup, obviously, but beggars can't be choosers, really, when it comes down to it. Right. I'd almost rather him be in the, quote, second leadoff spot in that nine hole than in the seventh or eighth spot. But if a guy like Taylor is going to run, he's going to run, regardless. I agree. I agree. And really, what it comes down to is you get more opportunities when you're higher up in the lineup. It's not so much that... When you're in the eighth spot, that's just not a spot that you're going to run because mm-hmm. the opportunities change throughout the course of the game. It doesn't really matter. It's just yeah. that when you're in the one spot, and the ninth spot is more about 
you're going to score more runs because the players in front of that are batting in front of you are better and going to knock you in. It's less about the stolen base opportunities. I, agree. I just want to clarify that note that I mentioned that I made. All right, let's talk about some guys that might have some good opportunities ahead of themselves. I'll go over some schedule notes to keep in mind as you're making these decisions as well. There are just eight teams that have a full seven game work week ahead of them, including Baltimore, New York Yankees, Toronto, the Angels, the Mets, Washington, St. Louis, and the Dodgers all play seven games. There are two teams that have two off days, including Pittsburgh and Detroit, as they play each other on Tuesday, Wednesday, and they each have Monday and Thursday off to rest from what will obviously be a barn burner on both sides. We have each, every other team has is playing six. They're either off on Monday or Thursday, so no weird off days on Fridays or something like that this week. As I mentioned earlier, Cincinnati is playing in Colorado to start They also host the Yankees through the weekend, so they have lots of opportunities for positive hitting performances in both of those ballparks. Colorado specifically, like I mentioned, they do host Cincinnati in Colorado. Then they head on the road in the weekend in Texas, which is pretty much the opposite of a hitter's ballpark nowadays. And they will be keeping in mind that they will be at, they will be, on the road after being at home in Colorado for the past six straight games. And so as I call this the Kevin special, you might want to keep an eye on who's pitching uh, for Texas on 519 on May 19th, the first game that the Colorado hitters are out of Colorado. With all that in mind, Todd, who looks like they might have, who are you looking at to have a big week based on whether it's matchups, the opportunity that they have in front of them or playing time or what have you. Okay. So the three teams I picked out were the angels who, ha- especially the left-hand batters because they're facing seven righties and the guys that might be available, I thought were Luis Renjifo and Matt Tice, who's a catcher. They're both hitting reasonably well and they could actually do some damage against and all right-handed hitting, pitching a lineup against them. Then I have the Yankees, my Yankees, who have been up and down, but they face Toronto, which includes Kevin Gaussman, which is bad. But then the other pitchers for the t- Toronto are hit more hittable. And then they're at Cincinnati for three, which is a great hitter's park. So the guys to think about are Oswaldo Cabrera, who's only 28% owned in 12s. He's hitting poorly, 143, but I think he's showing some signs of breaking out of it since I've been watching them. And the other two guys that are getting playing time, surprisingly, are Willie Calhoun and Jake Bowers. Again, not great players, but if they're going to be playing them and the pitchers against them are not special, then they can produce as well. They both have a couple of homers over the last couple of weeks. And then the last one I'll mention, Adam, is the St. Louis Cardinals. They have Milwaukee at home for three and L.A. Dodgers for four. So it's seven games and they have four lefties. And if you've noticed, the Cardinals are the number one team against a left-handed pitching in the majors. So the guys I picked out were Dylan Carlson, who's only 7% owned in the 12s, 76% in mains, and Paul DeYoung who's 4% owned and 32% in the mains. They're both they're both capable of doing some damage. They both have a couple of homers over the last two weeks. 
And if they're all facing these lefties, I think they can definitely help you. Yeah, I love the fact that there is a team with the Yankees. They're playing in Great American Small Park and Great Canadian Small Park, obviously right. with the dimensions in right. Toronto changing for this season. Yeah, that, I think that's got to a point where my needs start mentioning who's playing in Toronto on a regular basis on yeah. this section as well. I like the call out there. So check your schedules of the players that you're looking at, seeing who has these kind of matchups that Todd's talking about. The Matt Tice call is my favorite. Just again, like I said, I'm rotating through all these catchers <laughs> and Matt Tice is always somebody that's intrigued me, has right. interested me, but not enough where I'm like, you're not, you, you might get two, two, maybe three days this week. And I, I can't risk when that's going to be, right. but if you're going to get that extra opportunity of playing all those right-handers, they might all but guarantee, especially with the catcher situation we have with the Angels right now, if you can get a couple extra at-bats, that might be yeah. something I'll be throwing in a buck or two. That's the beauty about catchers too, is you can usually get them for a buck. That's right. You don't have to spend a lot. It's not like getting for Yuri Perez. And Your then, Yuri Perez's. I got my Matt Tice. I'll be yeah, fine. Right. Forget <laughs> it, man. I can match you. But uh, I did want to mention that two weeks out, I did glance at the schedule and the Reds are at home for four, and we all know how great a home park they have. And then they're at Wrigley Field for three, and if the wind is blowing out in Wrigley, that can be some great hitting matchups there. And then the Rockies are home for seven the week after next. They get Miami and the Mets. If, you wanna, if you're in a league where it benefits you to pick up guys ahead of time and you have a good Cincinnati Red or Colorado Rocky you might want to take a look at that and just put them on the bench for now. There we go. Love looking ahead. Let's move into the pitching categories here. Wins and K's are counting stats to start us off before we get into our ratios. Usually starters here, we pick. We can go in any direction we really want. Mm-hmm. Who's going to get some wins and K's for us this week? You got a couple of my Red Sox here on here. And as a Yankees fan, I love seeing somebody throw out Red Sox players as somebody you think is going to do well enough to actually help your fantasy team. So Todd, why do you think Brian Bayo is the best pitcher ever? (laughs) He's close. He's close. He's very close. No, I think he showed some signs the last time out. He had a tough matchup. I think it was the Braves and he pitched very well. He's always had the talent. So I think he's, he's 68% rostered in 12 teams and 98% rostered in the main event. But he's definitely talented and can get strikeouts if if he's given the opportunity. And then James Paxton, until he gets hurt, <laughs> he's got the talent. We all see, have seen that over the don't, years. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> until he gets hurt. But he, could be, he could be in, in the rotation for several weeks. But he's got a 5% ownership share in the 12th team and 62% in, in the main event. Those guys both can get strikeouts, which is the main thing. If you can give you strikeouts and then the Red Sox are hitting, I'll throw you a bouquet there. Definitely Red Sox are showing a good offense. So if they give you five runs and these guys can go five innings, good chance they can get a win, which is extremely valuable. So those are the two guys I had at the top as the two active guys. I do have a couple of injured guys I wanted to mention. Okay, Aaron Savali. He's been out for a while. I think he's working his way back. He's a good pitcher in my opinion. I think if you can see him out there in the waiver wire, it's getting close to that time that you might want to put him on the bench. Garrett Whitlock also, they said, needs a couple more rehab outings. And he's 49% rostered in the 12s, 
96% in the main event. And then Alex Wood, I think, just came back. He's 17 and 98%. But again, all these guys can give you five innings of reasonable performance. And to get a win and get Ks, that's what you need. We're all hurting at starting pitcher. We all have guys going down left and right. And you might just, in or, these guys might be better than whatever is on the wire that's an active pitcher. So just make sure to look at them and not just the guys that have pitched innings over the last week or two. Yeah, and this is this is the difference between your main events and your online championships or your 15s really and your 12s. And we'll call out the main event specifically just because I know that the roster shift in the main event can really be very drastically different than say TGFBI, another 15 teamer. But the percentages of roster ship on certain players is usually very different, especially when it comes to starting pitchers. The fact that we see these injured pitchers like Savali and Whitlock and Wood had already in the in the mid to high ninety percent, so like there's only two to four leagues where these guys are available in these in the main event. It's not so much people are like, I can't drop this guy; he's too good. It's just there's nobody better <laughs> available on the wire in these right. leagues that you can't drop them because right. who's going to be better than that than this guy who can't pitch. And and the other guys I put down were two two vulture right. Eric Swanson of Seattle and Colin Poche of the Tampa Bay Rays. And again, I try not to force it. If there's a pitcher that I don't really, I'd rather have Swanson or Poche, you know, in there. They may not get a win in the week that I put them in the lineup, but they probably will help the ratios. And you guys have discussed this plenty. Get you a few Ks. So I would say these are two good pitchers. And also the key factor for me, Adam, is that their managers see, want to put them in the game when the game is in the balance. So like it's the seventh inning, it's tie score, their team's down one. They say, let me get Swanson in there. And that's when you can get a win because if the Mariners score two runs, they're ahead and all of a sudden you got to win. So you don't want the guys that are pitching well, but they're in when they're five runs difference. That's no help at all. Swanson's in Toronto now, so hopefully he gets oh, the Blue sorry. Jays. Toronto, yeah. Hopefully right. he gets the Blue Jays a win. He he got the Blue Jays a win today. He, he was in that exact situation today, okay, and it okay. really pissed me off in my in one of my head to head leagues okay. because wins were very tight. And obviously, I don't have Swanson on that roster. I have him <laughs> on a couple others. Okay. All right, you got one guy here to talk about with ratios. This is a guy that has been in my conditional bids. I think we <laughs> talked about him like three weeks ago when right. he got moved into the bullpen. Maybe it was two weeks ago. Either way, he's been in my waterfall bids for every league for three straight weeks. And I be, I guess luckily I haven't gotten him because I keep getting the guys above him. But he, I want to keep picking him up. <laughs> My conditional bids are not allowing me to. So talk to me about why maybe I should be pushing Nick Martinez higher up my conditional bids this week for my ratios. Yeah, I think Martinez is good. So that's my number one criteria. There you go. (laughs) But he's got 11 Ks over the last two weeks, 7.2 innings. And I think he picked up a win. I, I didn't study this carefully. He's He sometimes gets a win, sometimes can get a three inning save. And also, this is just my opinion. Not shared by the San Diego Padres, but I think he's better than Michael Waka. And so there's a chance that he could move into the rotation where he was a while back. 
So anyway, I think he's valuable. Depend if you have nine good pitchers and you there are three closers and six starters that are all good. You don't need to consider Martinez, but he's very good to have in a pinch. You don't want to pitch somebody when they're in Colorado or at Cincinnati, and you could put Martinez in. I think it's a valuable guy to have, and maybe he can be back in the rotation maybe in the next month or two. And the beauty is that he did not pitch today. Yeah. So if he doesn't, no, no, he did pitch today. No, sorry, he did pitch today. Oh, he did. But he only pitched one inning. No hits, no walks, no runs. So one strikeouts. That's nice. And it's one of those things where it's you hope he doesn't pitch on Sunday. Exactly. If he's not in the game tomorrow, then they could use him Monday or Tuesday, which is the best thing. So, yeah, that'd be the reason to consider him. And, again, don't pick up my two senses. Even in a 12, don't pick up a, a guy you think is a poor pitcher. It's just it's just not helpful. It's just because you don't have the confidence in them. And if they blow up, you're like, why did I do that? You can always get a reliever that's much more valuable. All right, let's see if one of these closers to B is going to get $300 bids that we <laughs> talked about that we have listed here. Your top one is who I want to lead off with, the Cubs, Mark Leiter Jr. So of course, we're talking about the saves category yes. for those listening at home. Moving on here, Mike Leiter Jr., somebody I've been picking up in the last couple of weeks in various leagues, started my 15-teamers moving down to my 12s just based on what he's been doing, not because I thought he was going to move into a closer position, but just because of mainly just the strikeouts and yes. lack of and lack of ratios. He He obviously has been getting a little bit more steam as I thought I could sneak him in to my aunt new league for two bucks. And he went for four bucks in my auction uh-huh. there. And which that was a little disappointing, but that's right. I have him in enough other places. I'm happy to have him talk to me though, about the fact that he looks like he roster resource has him as the co-closer all of a sudden in Chicago. Do you buy that placement or you think that he just has an opportunity to move into that spot? I think he's got the lead position. That's my read of the last few games, because even in the last game where it was close, but then the Cubs extended the lead, he was saved for the ninth inning. Alzelay pitched the eighth. And, uh, some of the other guys came in earlier. So I And I think, as you said, his skills have shown improvement. He's been around a while, but uh, he's striking out more batters than he ever did, and he's uh, he's just hard to hit so far this year. So I would say... He's probably got the confidence of the manager. If they got a three-run lead or less, I think he's got a 60 or 70% chance of being given the opportunity. So I would say of all the guys, I listed five guys here. Of all the guys, I think he's got the best opportunity to get the most saves. He's 40% rostered in 12s, 91 in main event. Yeah, I like him a lot too. I'm a, after the show I did with Grant Washburn a couple of weeks ago, my head is wrapped around the whole idea of is this guy arbitration eligible or not? And is that going to impact how many save opportunities he's actually going to get throughout the course of the season? In short spurts, I don't think it matters as much. But yeah. it, when you start asking the question, who's going to lead the team in saves or who's going to get the most saves from here on out? It starts, regardless of his age and how long he's been around, he's still arbitration eligible. Uh, He's still at a point where, you know, what he does on the field is going to dictate how much money he's going to make the next, I think, couple of years, actually. So I I do worry about long term, 
But what he's doing right now, at least even for the next couple of weeks, is going to give, he's going to be put into the position where he's, he's going to get those opportunities for the Cubs. It is worth noting that Brandon Hughes did come back off the IL for the Cubs as well. Now they actually have an, a true left-hander back in that bullpen, which is nice. But as Rick Graham uh, in the pen, you know, our lead reliever guru here at, at PitcherList will say, is that Mark Leiter, he might be right-handed, but he's really a lefty specialist in, yeah. in, in the way he pitches as well. So Definitely. it's kind of, it's almost nice that you have an actual lefty in the bullpen. So you don't, you're not worried about a guy like lighter who again is right-handed, but pitches well to lefties doesn't have to necessarily be used as a lefty specialist exactly. by default. So yep. that's, that's, it's good to know. Of course we had the, Jose Alvarado injury in Philadelphia, freeing up the saves that he had been stealing away from everybody. And we knew going into the season that the Philly bullpen was going to be not so much like a cluster, but because you didn't really trust anybody in the bullpen to take over the role. They they just had too many mouths to feed situation. Alvarado obviously took what, you know, he was doing and ran with it. And now we're scrambling to see who's going to pick up the pieces between Craig Kimbrell and Gregory Soto and Sir Anthony Dominguez. Which direction would you be going? All right. So the manager said that it was Kimbrell and Soto was the, were the guys that were going to share the closing duties, not Dominguez. And I personally think Dominguez is the best pitcher of the three, but. The Phillies do not consult me. I know you're surprised. <laughs> just because he's the best pitcher doesn't mean he's the closer. Well, that's true. But I I just feel like they've never given Dominguez the full chance. He probably would be the best closer. But anyway, regardless of that, Kimbrell, yeah, he's been around for years. He probably can get most of the saves, lock down the easier ones. He's fine. I'm not excited to get him, but he probably will get more of the opportunities. Gregory Soto... I was out on him last year when he was the Tigers closer, but he did fine. And I always feel like he's going to throw it to the screen, (laughs) but I just don't trust him with men on base. And I don't know how they would do that themselves. But anyway, it'll be exciting if they give him a save op. I would personally not go after Soto. If Kimbrell was available, I would consider him. He's 54%, 68%. So he's he's kicking around and uh, he could get you some saves if you're really light in that category. It's just Philly just doesn't have an easy answer. And Alvarado, if he's back soon, he might just kick both of them out and be the closer again. Here's hoping. hoping. Yinier Cano in Baltimore has been kind of a hot topic, especially if you follow Alex Fast on Twitter. That's true for pretty much anybody in Baltimore. But Cano (laughs) has been amazing. Obviously, he's picked up a couple saves with Felix Batista needing some time off, rest, what have you. Do you see that continuing? I do. I think he's going to get, he's a good second option for Baltimore. I think he's going to continue to get opportunities. And in our landscape, a 30% closer opportunity situation is good, especially if he's giving you a zero ERA over the time. So Is that good? That seems good. It seems good. It seems like it could help our ratios, like when you have a, Starter that goes five innings, gives up seven runs or something. So anyway, yes, Cano, I would very much consider. And then similar, I'll just mention Jorge Lopez in Minnesota. He's also the secondary option to Duran. And Duran also, they don't like to pitch him on back-to-back days that often. So Lopez does get opportunities, and he generally converts them. He's not 
great pitcher, but he generally will get you a few saves. So that's a good one. The sneaky guy I put on here, Adam, is Miguel Castro in Arizona. He's really, I think he got one save recently. Maybe it was last night. I think Chafin's kind of struggling. He's a lefty. He's not been as good as he was really early in the season. And I think Castro fits better as a closer. I would consider if you can wait a week or two and hopefully stash a guy that might get saves, he'd be the sneaky guy that could be the 60 or 70% closer instead of the 30%. Yeah, I was wonder, I was going to ask you, do you think he takes, I mean, he's been great pretty much all season. Do you think he just takes the job from Chafin or do you think he would take some kind of injury or blow up on Chafin's no, part? I think it's gradually shifting that way. I just think Chafin is not pitching as well. I think it would gradually shift until he's 60 and Chafin's 40 instead of the other way around. So that's my take. You could laugh at me in a couple of weeks when it doesn't happen, but you got to take your shots and he's 2% owned in online championships, 19% in main events. You can't win all these, but if you got a chance, some of us have one closer or zero closers and you got to take a look and see who you can add. Michael Scott said, you miss all the shots that you don't take. <laughs> exactly, exactly. As quoted by Wayne Kresge, as quoted by Michael Scott. All right, let's move into the final category here, Todd, our wild card category. We've, we've talked about them quite a bit on this episode already, but right. let's dive a little bit deeper into your choice here with Christopher Morella, Chicago Cubs, gotten the call back up. Of course, he made his debut in last late last season but didn't make the opening day roster, gets a call back up after blowing everybody away in AAA. And now looks like he's playing every day for the Cubs. Why is this a wild card selection? I just think he's got the most upside of almost anyone we've talked about today. He's 16%, 62%. He's got second base and outfield eligibility. So he's valuable. I think he's good enough to be a regular in the Cubs lineup, as vaunted as the Cubs lineup is. I think he he's went six for 13 in his first three days with the Cubs. So I don't know what they would want more than that. He was hitting 330 at AAA Iowa, 11 homers, 31 runs batted in, four steals. Now the one caveat would be for me, he still had a 31% K rate. And last year, he had a 32% K rate, so he hasn't really changed that, but I'd rather have a guy that's swinging rather than a really patient guy, and I think he can make something happen, and he's got the power, he's got the speed. If you're looking for a guy that could hit and could really help your offense, I think he's the guy to go for, in my opinion. You got a chance, he's kicking around in a lot of leagues, and if you got the room, I would certainly add him. He can play middle infield. It's a position that a lot of us need help in. So the main question is though, how many leagues, and we'll just stay at the main event, there's 53, yep. right? 53 leagues in the main event. Yep. How many of them does Morel end up going for more than Yuri Perez? Zero. Okay, all right. <laughs> that would be the wild card. <laughs> yeah, Yuri Perez is just a more known commodity. He's more, people are more desperate for pitching. So 62, let's see. 38% of leagues is what? Maybe 20 leagues. I just So there's also less opportunity, sure. There's less opportunity, but I just don't feel like even in the leagues where they're both kicking around where people are going to spend more money for Morel 
they have more options in outfield and the second base than they do for a pitcher. That's fair. That's fair. Sorry. It'll be funny when there's at least one. It's just somebody just like it could be, yeah. fan out there goes crazy. There you go. They're out there. When I was in Vegas, somebody said to me, you know why the casinos are so big? It's because of all the money from the Cub fans that I kept betting on them to win the World Series for <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> That's why they have such a nice building. So anyway, it's a little bit of a hyperbole, but <laughs> only a little bit. Only a little, yes. All right, Todd, that is going to wrap it up. I think we got the great, some great players to consider on your bids this week. Remind everybody, Todd, once again, where you can be followed. Again, we'll have links to all this stuff in the show descriptions as well, so check that out. But Todd, thank you so much for joining me. And yeah, let everybody know where they can follow you and find your work. Thank you. I appreciate ha- having me on. And I'm glad that we could, I could help get the On The Wire pod back there, in the regular yeah. rotation. But um, it wasn't for Todd. I'm the savior. Maybe I'll text Kevin and just tell him. So I'm at Telstar7 on Twitter. They can reach me there if you want. I'm an FTN Fantasy writing my weekly article. comes out usually on Mondays. I do the companion pod. Usually comes out Monday night or Tuesday. And then I'm on the Mean Streets with Chris Meany. That's usually Monday afternoons. He does a live show. And I'm on for 10, 15 minutes talking about fantasy baseball and a little, a few nuggets from my article. So I'm all around the place and I'm trying to manage some fantasy teams and you and I are in one league together, Adam, hopefully we'll move up. We're not, we're in the middle of the pack in that one, but I'm really enjoyed being on and I, I wish you guys the best. Hopefully, hopefully we, we hear you weekly from the rest from now to the rest of the end. That's definitely the plan. I appreciate that, Todd. <laughs> that is going to wrap it up for episode 114 of On The Wire. Make sure you're subscribed, shared, and reviewing the podcast wherever you're listening. We're back every Sunday, I swear, (laughs) with a detailed fab breakdown throughout the 2023 season. Of course, keep a lookout for Brett Ford's companion article over at PitcherList.com that comes out every Sunday afternoon as well when you're considering who you're going to make your bids on for fab this week. You can follow myself on the Twitter at Adagrade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Kevin. Of course, follow the pod itself at On The Wire Pod. Like once again, thank my guest Todd Whitestone for joining me once again this week. Follow him at Telstar Seven. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye. <laughs>